What comes apart from His command And what will keep us to the end The love of Christ in which we stand Oh, sing
Good morning. It's good to see you all again in person. I had to imagine you for the last four weeks, but I can actually see you this time. Just to, I'm sure this is not needed to be said, but just for the sake of saying it, just a reminder, we are in tier three in terms of the government restrictions at the moment. So that requires us not to mingle afterwards, either inside or out. And I realize there may be different views among us as to the appropriateness or otherwise of these restrictions, but whatever our personal view is, we'll keep the restrictions out of uh, love and care for those around us. So that's just a reminder, but please, if you have any pastoral issues, uh, we do want to listen and we do want to try to help. So please contact the elders at any time and we'll be very happy to do what we can. And we are celebrating the Lord's Supper at the end of our, uh, as part of our service this morning, towards the end. And just a reminder that shoeboxes are due back today. There is a couple of tables at the back. There are a couple of tables. Uh, if you didn't see those on the way in, you can put your shoeboxes there. And then there is a Christmas post box available that will be there this Sunday and next. It's for Christmas cards within the church. And once the cards have been sorted, we will get them to you. You don't need to go uh, searching for them yourself. And there is no coffee time afterwards this morning online. We, it was just too hard to work that in with having two services, people traveling different distances to get home. But in place of coffee time, why not call someone this afternoon and have a chat that way? And we've now started online prayer meetings. So that's another way to be in contact the next one of those will be on Thursday, December the 17th. And we are meeting again here in person at 6 this evening to continue looking at Matthew's Gospel. And then our carol service, it is just one carol service, but it's going to be repeated. So uh, it will be next Sunday evening, the 13th at 6 p.m., repeated on Sunday, the 20th at 6 p.m., so we do need to book for that in terms of space. So please do book either online or you could contact Steve or myself. And if you're able to come on the 13th, obviously we'd like to fill that one up first. If everyone goes for the 20th, then half of you won't be able to come due to the space restrictions. But of course, if you're bringing visitors who can only come on the 20th, then of course, go for that. And if you've contacted Steve or myself, you don't need to book online as well. That, that counts. I think those are the only things I need to mention. This is the second Sunday in Advent. And last Sunday we started our Advent wreath, so we, we'll be lighting the first two candles today. But before we light the candles, we're going to have a reading. And then, so I don't know if you want to all come up together. We start with a short reading from Matthew. So, Olivia, if you want to stand in there, it might be easier. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who has spoken through the prophet Isaiah. 
a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths to him. Would you like to do a candle each? Okay, so do you want to start? We'll start with this one. Just pull it like a trigger. There you go. And then this one, if you come around here. Brilliant. Teamwork. Thank you. Thank you very much. So before the musicians lead us in a Christmas song, we're going to stand and pray a congregational prayer together. The words will be on the screen behind me, and then we can be seated uh, for the song. So if you'll stand with me and join in this prayer, please. Lord God, as we light this candle, we thank you for your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, who is the way. We who like sheep have gone astray have found the way to you through Jesus Christ. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.
Father, we thank you for your far-reaching love. Love that reached all the way down to this poor world. A world that we know is broken in so many ways. We praise you because you didn't stay above our brokenness. You entered into it in the person of your son, Jesus. And we look to him today as our Prince of Peace. The one who heals us forgives us and reconciles us to you. We remember what it cost Jesus to achieve that salvation for us. It cost his own blood poured out in death in our place. He is worthy of our praise. And during this Christmas season, we long for others to come and join us in praising him. Our families, our neighbors, the people in these houses around us this morning. We think of the children who will receive the shoeboxes that go from here. And they'll be given an opportunity to hear about Jesus. And we ask you to use these simple gifts given in Jesus' name to open their eyes to your love. We pray for their parents too. Will you draw them to Jesus also? And as we hear this song now celebrating Jesus' great love, and then as we turn together to your word, both here and in the Sunday school, 
will you show us again, show all of us what a great God you are. A God whose love reaches to the heavens, whose faithfulness reaches to the skies. And we thank you that as small as we might feel, your care and love reaches even to us. Amen. Our next song is a song of wonder and amazement at God's great love shown in Christ. And can it be?
Uh, the Sunday school are going to be moving next door. Last week we began the book of Ruth, and the first verse of this book tells us it's set in the days when the judges ruled. So it's a time we already know quite well. The book of Judges showed us what these days were like. It was a time when everyone did as they saw fit. And not surprisingly, that approach to life led to plenty of abuse, plenty of injustice, and plenty of unfaithfulness. But the book of Ruth shows us there was some faithfulness in the days of the judges. We began to see it in Ruth chapter 1. As a widow called Naomi made her way back home to Bethlehem. She came from Moab after going there during a famine in Israel. And she was accompanied back to Bethlehem by her widowed daughter-in-law, Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite. But she left her people and her family to stick with Naomi. Ruth was a faithful friend. Her commitment to Naomi went far beyond mere duty or obligation. Ruth's faithful love was a picture of the Lord's love for his people. It's a love that doesn't give up. And in fact, the Lord was showing his love to Naomi through Ruth. But we also saw Naomi was not recognizing the Lord's love. As far as she was concerned, the Lord might give her enough bread to survive back in Bethlehem, but Naomi had no hope her life was going to be anything more than bitter from this point on. That's where chapter 1 left us. The last verse of the chapter told us Naomi and Ruth arrived in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. And this morning we pick up in chapter 2, where the harvest has begun. Not just the barley harvest, but a harvest of God's blessing and care. And as we look at this, we might be encouraged ourselves to take a fresh look at God's blessing and care in our own lives. Let's read Ruth chapter 2 together. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, She was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. 
She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland to come and live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. When she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. And don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He's one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. This is God's Word, and it describes, first of all, an unexpected welcome, and then an extravagant acceptance. First of all, in verses 1 to 13, an unexpected welcome. Chapter 2 focuses on a harvest after a time of famine. But before we get to the harvest, in verse 1, the writer drops in a little bit of information. Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. 
He's described as a man of standing. That could mean several different things. It could mean he's a wealthy man. It could mean he's influential in the community. It could mean he's a man of noble character. We'll have to wait and see how exactly Boaz is a man of standing. And the other key bit of information is that Boaz is a relative of Naomi's dead husband, Elimelech. Again, we have to wait and see what relevance that has. Then in verse 2, the action picks up where chapter 1 left off. Ruth asks her mother-in-law's permission to join the harvest. And we're reminded of something we already know. Ruth is a Moabite. And we saw last week, her people are arch enemies of Israel. So Ruth is a big-time outsider in Bethlehem. She has no reason, reason to expect much from the people of Bethlehem. In fact, given what we know from the final chapters of Judges, a single woman working in the fields may expect to be in real danger. She may expect harm. So although there's a harvest beginning, it's not a given that Ruth will get much of the harvest, if any. Which means Naomi won't either. Presumably she's not fit to work in the fields. She is dependent on what Ruth gets. And look how low Ruth's expectations are. She's hoping to find favor with someone who will let her pick up the leftover grain. In other words, she is not expecting a job as a harvester. The harvester went through the fields with a scythe, cutting the stalks and gathering them into bundles. And the ladies following behind then tied those bundles into sheaves. Ruth is not expecting to get either of those jobs. She's hoping for permission to pick up any stalks that are accidentally dropped when the bundles are being tied into sheaves. That work of picking up the scraps was called gleaning. And if the harvesters do their job well, there will be precious few scraps left for the gleaners. But as far as Ruth is concerned, it would be success if she got permission to glean. She's realistic. She is a hated Moabite. She has no foothold in Bethlehem. Scraps are all that she can hope for. And Naomi seems to agree. All she has to say is, go ahead, my daughter. We saw in chapter 1, Naomi has come home with a pretty negative, bitter attitude. Her expectations are just as low as Ruth's. But Ruth is determined to try. And in verse 3, we're told she went out, she entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. We find out a little bit later she did ask permission first. The impression we're given is that she chose a field at random. But as it turned out, the field she chose belonged to Boaz, this relative of Elimelech. What a stroke of luck! What a happy coincidence. But as we'll see, this is not luck at all. It's all part of the Lord's faithful love. While Ruth is working, Boaz arrives to see how things are going in his field. And we immediately sense this man may not be like most people in Israel. In verse 4, he greets his harvesters with 
the Lord be with you. And maybe even more surprising, his workers respond with, the Lord bless you. I can't claim that I have the widest workplace experience, but I'm pretty sure this kind of mutual enthusiasm is not typical for workers and bosses. I'm pretty sure it was not typical in Israel in the time of the judges. But Boaz is not a typical Israelite of this time. We've already been told he's a man of standing. And we quickly learn he's a man of standing in several different ways. He's wealthy, obviously. He has plenty of workers on his payroll. Later we'll learn he's also influential in the community. But most significantly of all, he's a man who knows and fears the Lord. His greeting to his workers is not just a meaningless throwaway. Boaz is a man who cares about what is right in the Lord's eyes. We know that because in his fields, God's law is respected. What do I mean by that? What I mean is, in the Old Testament book of Leviticus, God gave this command to his people Israel. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. That's what God had commanded. Do you think that command was widely obeyed in Israel at this time? Do you think most farmers made allowances for the poor and the foreigner? In this place where everyone does as they see fit? We can be sure this command was generally ignored. Along with the rest of God's law. We can be sure most of the farmers around Bethlehem would not have allowed Ruth to glean. But she just happens to go to the field of a man committed to doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord. The overseer or the foreman of Boaz's field knows what his boss expects of him. He allows Ruth to start work. And when Boaz comes, he asks in verse 5, who does that young woman belong to? Meaning, what family is she from? He gets his answer, then he goes and speaks to Ruth himself, encouraging her to stay with his workers. And at this point, we get an insight into Ruth's low expectations. Yes, she went out hoping to find favor with someone, but when she does find favor, she is overwhelmed by it. Look at verse 10. At this, at Boaz's words, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? And Ruth knows she's not just any foreigner. As a Moabite, she's one of the worst kinds of foreigner as far as Israel is concerned. But she has found a welcome and it is overwhelming to her. Boaz replies in verse 11, 
I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland to come and live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz knows about Ruth, and he knows she is all in. When she said she was coming to Naomi's place and Naomi's people and Naomi's God, she really meant it. Boaz describes it beautifully. This Moabite lady has come for refuge under the Lord's wings. That is a picture that reappears in other parts of Scripture. Psalm 91 says about the Lord, He will cover you with his feathers. And under his wings you will find refuge. The Bible pictures God like a majestic eagle encircling his people with his favor and his care. That is how God wants us to think of him. And notice, Ruth has shown faithful love to Naomi. And Boaz prays she will be blessed for her kindness. But he also sees Ruth has not come to God looking for a reward. She's not come thinking she deserves anything. She's come hoping for refuge, for grace. And when she finds it, she is overwhelmed. This welcome from Boaz is the Lord's way of covering her with his feathers and sheltering her under his wings. Through Boaz, the Lord is expressing his own welcome for Ruth. And this picture is one that applies to us as well. In the New Testament, we find Jesus speaking of his own desire to gather men and women under his wings. To receive them into his care and protection. And the welcome we have from Jesus is just as unexpected as the welcome Ruth received in Bethlehem. We don't have to read very much of the Bible before we realize we're all in the position Ruth was in. We're born enemies of God and his people. We're outsiders just like she was. There's nothing in us that deserves a welcome from God. But in his faithful love, he opens his wings to enemies like us. He receives us when we come. And throughout history, Christians have found the wonder of God's welcome never grows old. The joy of finding refuge in him is a lifelong joy. And we heard some of that joy earlier in Charles Wesley's hymn. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me, who caused his pain? For me, who him to death pursued? Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? And as we come to know this gracious God, as we come to appreciate the welcome and the refuge we have under his wings, 
then we can learn to be open and generous to others. That's what's going on with Boaz. He knows the Lord. And blessing from the Lord flows through Boaz to those around him. Blessing flows, first of all, in the form of an unexpected welcome. But that was just the beginning. Now comes an extravagant acceptance. Up to this point in the day, Ruth has been allowed to glean. Boaz and his overseer have been faithful to God's law and the the law's welcome to the foreigner. But now... Ruth experiences a level of acceptance that goes way beyond the letter of the law. Remember, she's expecting nothing but a few scraps to take home from the field. Being allowed to do that was enough to overwhelm her. But look what happens after her introduction to Boaz. First, there's a feast in verse 14. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. In this society, being invited to share a meal was a sign you truly belonged. You were not an outsider anymore. And this is not just a snack. It's more than Michael Gove's scotch egg with pickle on the side. This is a substantial meal. So much so that Ruth can't finish it. She has some leftover which she later takes home. And when the feast is over and they get back to work, Boaz makes sure she has a highly productive afternoon. Verse 15, as she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. Workers in the field did not get to keep all that they harvested. The harvest belonged to the owner of the field. They were allowed to take home a daily ration as their pay. And commentators tell us what Ruth takes home here on her first day is equivalent to half a month's rations for a worker. She is being shown an extravagant acceptance. And the message is, she's not just tolerated among these people, she's truly in. There's no half-heartedness. This is love that goes beyond all expectation or duty. This is faithful love. Ruth staggers home to Naomi with her big sack of grain and her doggy bag from lunch. And the realization that Ruth has been so obviously blessed, it sparks new energy and new life into Naomi. The questions just spill out of her if you look in 19. Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. 
The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He's one of our guardian redeemers. When we met Naomi in chapter 1, she was bitter. She was convinced the Lord's hand was against her. And she expected very little from him. But now she's renewed. When she says in verse 20, he has not stopped showing his kindness, she means the Lord. She recognizes the Lord's kindness in what has happened to Ruth. In, in this moment, Naomi sees she was way too quick to decide the Lord had it in for her. She was way too quick to say the Lord was against her. And in this moment, she sees far greater possibilities here than just a few sacks of grain. The grain doesn't excite Naomi half as much as the identity of the man who gave the grain. This man Ruth just happened to meet is a relative from her husband's clan, and he's a guardian redeemer. That means he has certain responsibilities to members of his clan. He has a duty to help in various ways. And we'll learn more about that when we come to chapters 3 and 4. But as we notice Naomi's reaction here, we might wonder to ourselves, if she knows who Boaz is, why was she so despairing before? And when Ruth went out to look for a field to glean in, why didn't Naomi point her to Boaz's field? Why did she just lamely say, go ahead? Come to think of it, why didn't Naomi knock on Boaz's door the day they arrived back in Bethlehem? I think the simple answer to all those questions is Naomi had lost hope. She said herself she was bitter. And when we get like that, don't we often willfully ignore the possibilities and the opportunities in front of us? How many of us, when we're in a dark time, react by pulling away from God's people? And turning from God himself. Have you ever had one of those conversations with someone who has sunk pretty low? And every suggestion is shot down. No solution could possibly work. They have a dozen reasons why their situation is hopeless. And there's nothing to be done about it except to face the wall and sigh like Eeyore. Many of us have had those conversations with others, and we've probably also had times when we're the one facing the wall and sighing. So I think we can see why Naomi knew about Boaz but discounted him. It took God's extravagance through Boaz to show her that hope is not lost. This relative is not going to disown her in Ruth like she maybe expected him to. And the kindness of Boaz is just a small token of the Lord's extravagant acceptance.
The Lord's acceptance has lifted Naomi out of her gloom. And as the chapter ends, she and Ruth agree Ruth will stay close to Boaz for the rest of the harvest. And surely there's something helpful for us here to recognize how easily we can overlook God's kindness, how in our bitterness we can be closed off to it. Let's ask him to open our eyes the way he opened Naomi's. And the New Testament tells us the extravagant blessings God has for us don't take the form of food or wages, although those certainly are blessings from him always. But for us, the true extravagance God has for us is found in his people and his presence. Think first about his people. Here in Bethlehem, Ruth finds herself welcomed into a community who are generous to her. She's safe in Boaz's field like nowhere else. She will be cared for among his workers. And that's what the church can be for us. The Bible pictures the church as a family where every member is loved and cared for. Megan and I can say that has been our experience in this church family. When we moved here almost 15 years ago, you showed us remarkable love. And you've continued to do that year after year. God has given us a harvest of blessing through you. So it's one of the greatest frustrations at the moment that it is so difficult for the church to be what it's called to be. Normally, it's our sin that limits our church community being all it can be. At the moment, we have the added limitation of all these restrictions. And yet, even in this, if we're open to it, God's blessing is there to be experienced in the family of his people. And each one of us can help with this as we find ways to show God's care and kindness ourselves. I know that so many of you are doing that. It's wonderful. And let's remind ourselves how significant it can be to do even small things for others. Small acts of care and kindness given with love. So keep calling people. Keep offering to help in whatever way you can. And be willing to ask for help too. God's people are one way we experience a harvest of his blessing in our lives. But there's another aspect of God's blessing that no amount of social restrictions can ever limit. We also experience his extravagant acceptance through his own presence with us. We see now Ruth was invited to share a meal with Boaz and his workers. We saw what a sign that was that she belonged. So with that in mind, listen to these words from the risen Jesus to his church in the book of Revelation. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. 
If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. In its context in the book of Revelation, that is not a call for non-Christians to come to Jesus. It's an assurance to Christians that they can have a genuine relationship with Jesus. And Jesus is not offering a bowl of soup and a roll. He's offering himself. He's inviting us to share our hearts and lives with him. He's declaring himself available and eager to share his presence with us. That is how extravagant God's acceptance is. It's so much more than a rubber stamp on a certificate somewhere up in heaven that says forgiven and accepted. That declaration is true when we come to Jesus. But God is so much more extravagant with us than that. The greatest way he pours out his blessing on us here and now is by sharing his presence with us. The hymn says, What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield you. Find your strength and comfort there. Jesus says he's waiting for you and me simply to open our hearts to him. We have access to genuine fellowship with Jesus. Older writers use the word communion. It means sharing together at the deepest level. Being known and accepted. Being heard and understood. Being comforted and carried forward. That is an extravagant blessing that our Savior can also be our friend, that our Creator can be our companion through life. Those are not future blessings. They're available right now. They're as real as the big bag of grain Ruth carried home from the field. As Christians, we're always interested in future blessings, and we should be. But let's not miss the extravagant acceptance and access we have to God now, today. We come to him not as strangers anymore, but as sons and daughters who are loved with everlasting love. The harvest has begun. Here in the book of Ruth, the harvest began in Bethlehem. And that's where the harvest starts for us too. In Bethlehem where generations after this, God the Son became Emmanuel. God with us. That advent at Bethlehem opened the door to all God's blessings. And that's what our next song celebrates. The good news that because of Bethlehem, we are never alone.
What great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. Amen.